Productivity. Productivity. Gladiator. I'm Brian Nelson Palmer, and on this show, I talk about personal, practical productivity skills. And in this episode, I want to dive into everyday persuasion. These are the sales tactics that work with kids, bosses, and clients. Because sales is an everyday thing. It's a part of everybody's life. It's not just for the salespeople, right? So with me on the show today is Dean Carroll. Dean's a career development advisor and a sales trainer. Dean, thanks so much for joining me today, man. Brian, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me, and I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Oh, me too. I've been, he's got books on this topic. Dean's really well versed in this. And as I was thinking about, you know, like as a project manager or as an early career, uh, up and coming aspiring leader, the sales tactics are something you're going to use for your entire career, whether you're in sales or not. And so it was like, man, I get to talk with Dean about this. I've been excited. So thank you for, thank you for being here on this. And now for those who don't know, I gave them a little primer, but talk about you in relation to, so we're going to talk about everyday sales. Tell them about you and your relation to sales. Well, I've spent my whole career in sales. I started in the publishing industry as a textbook sales representative when we actually bought print books. And I worked with a company named Prentice Hall, which was the number one textbook uh, publisher way back in its day. And then I went to Simon & Schuster for a number of years, which is the big consumer publisher. Yeah. And then I spent more than 20 years at a company named Wiley, which is a uh, business book and consumer publisher, academic publisher, and uh, professional journals publisher. And for the last 10 years, I've done sales training, I do coaching, and I have sales courses with the uh, training division of LinkedIn called LinkedIn Learning. So uh, I love the profession, and uh, I always try to explain it uh, in a way that uh, makes it easy for people to understand. Man, and sales really is an everyday thing. You know, you watch movies or there's t- there you you get the the easy version that sometimes comes out in public about, you know, it's like you, the sales stuff is about the slimy tactics they use at used car sales. And actually sales is nothing like that at all. So, I'm so glad we get to talk about this. So, so let's let's dive in. So, everyday sales tactics that work for your kids, your boss and your client. What's what comes to mind? I, I gave you this topic and I didn't really prime Dean ahead. There wasn't like a bunch of homework where we worked all these out ahead of time. It was like, all right, Dean, what comes to mind for you with this? Well, I think you just touched on it in that introduction about sales tactics. When you say sales to people, immediately people have a reaction. And many times, unfortunately, it is not positive. You know, the stereotypes for sales often come from movies. And, uh, you know, we, we joked about this in a, in a note between ourselves beforehand about you know, uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross of Alec Baldwin oh. going, always be closing. Always be closing. I'm going to, I'll make sure I share a link to that scene from Glenn Gary. If you don't know what we're talking about, I'll share a link in the notes. Cause, oh man, it's like one of those moments where uh, it just makes, I used to be, and I, oh gosh, Dean, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I should share no. I used to be the general manager of Ashley uh, Furniture Retail Chain down in South Florida. And I used to teach sales training and hire and fire sales associates. And so I I have a relationship with sales too, very much. And when I watch that movie, it just, oh God, it hurts me sometimes that like, oh, that's not it at all. No, I didn't mention that. No, you're absolutely right. But when people watch that and they think, well, that's what sales is all about. And then, you know, a great entertaining movie was The Wolf of Wall Street. You know, great, but a lot of fun. But, you know, that's all those guys and women, they, they got in trouble. You know, Jordan Belford went to jail. <laughs> now, he's since reformed himself, but that manipulative approach 
is not what sales is about. You go way back. There was a movie, I'm really dating myself, it was called The Tin Men. And they would sell aluminum siding. And that's the impression that a lot of people have, the negative stereotype of what sales is all about. So I have fought that my entire career of trying to make and talk about sales tactics is the main thing is, is just be yourself, not being manipulative, not being in your face. And, but it's sales tactics is something that it does involve. It does involve every profession, you know, whether you're a project manager, a marketing manager, whether you're in selling at retail, our job is to try and influence people to make decisions. So the basics of sales tactics and the number one skill that I talk about is emotional intelligence. Again, no matter what your profession may be, it's being aware, understanding, and showing empathy. And I think that's one of the tactics that we all need to learn more of is emotional intelligence. Gosh, for sure. There's emotional intelligence is definitely one of those when the customer comes in the store or or forget store, right? We're talking about sales in everyday life. So when your son or daughter comes in and they're having some sort of rough day, or you're trying to convince your boss that you need funding for the upcoming project or something. If, if they're in a bad headspace or they're not in a good mood, the odds of you getting that sale or them to say yes, or something you pro you might want to take a little detour and change the emotions going on right now before you jump right into that topic. Cause otherwise they're already prime to say no. So like, uh, emotional intelligence is it. Emotional intelligence, which touches on just what you were going through there is you have to be able to listen. Uh, too often salespeople and, or again, no matter what profession we're in, we, we're yeah. so excited, you know, to present our project or present our product or service that we don't actually listen to what the other person's saying. We're immediately coming up with our response. You hit on another topic that I've talked to my kids about throughout my entire life, and, and also the people I've hired and trained is not every day is going to be a bowl of cherries, no matter what job you have. And in sales, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so true. And uh -huh. that's what scares people about selling is we don't want to hear no. And we're rejection. Who wants to hear that? But that's true in any job. We do hear no from our managers or a proposal we've made doesn't, isn't accepted. And, uh, you know, people often say to me, Dean, you know, you're always so upbeat. You're always so optimistic. Do you ever have a bad day? And I said, absolutely true. And yeah. the lesson that I've taught my children is that, you know, when I first got into sales, I lived in upstate New York, Rochester, okay. New York, middle of nowhere, snowing like crazy all the time. And you know, here I am, a new job. Well, I had a couple of bad days and I wrote down this note. Now, this is, I'm dating myself. This goes back oh. 40 years. So I okay. said, hold, hold, remember that up, hold that up to the camera. What? You see this note? Okay. Yeah, there it is. Ooh, cool. What, okay. What's it say? And it says, uh, wasn't too good. Come on, Dean, make it. Now, this is a 40-year-old note that I've kept in my pocket because there are going to be days, no matter what job you have, that it's not going to be good. So people then say to me, well, Dean, why do you still have this? Because life is a roller coaster. And thankfully, I don't have to refer to this you know, all the time, but in my 30s, I did, you know, you have those questions like, what is my path? Where am I going? You know, you've shifted careers, career paths in your life. And we all go through that. I looked at it in my 30s. I had a great job. My last job at Wiley was I was the senior vice president of sales. I left that. And when I went to do something else, I actually referred to this note. I said, why did I leave that job? <laughs> you know, and so right. 
So the, the lesson is, and what I've taught in exchange with my children is, you know, not every day is going to be perfect. And life does has the highs and lows. And certainly you feel that in sales and you feel that in every profession. And I really love what we're talking about here is also listening and paying attention to what other people are going through at the same time. You mentioned listening is important. And my favorite metaphor I used to share was you have two ears and one mouth and you yeah. should use them proportionally. Yes. So like twice as much listening as talking, because if you listen, they will give you the cues. They often give you the answers. So your kids, your bosses, whatever it is, they're going to hesitate for some reason. And that reason that they share, if you're listening, is probably part of whatever it is you need to overcome in order to convince the kids that, yes, we should go on vacation to this particular location instead of the one they want or to stop. Why are you actually having a temper tantrum or it, like there's it's one of those things that like, man, if you, if you listen and you pay attention to the emotional intelligence, like we talk about the cues, they come at you if you're listening and if you're paying attention. I love it. You have to work at it. And it does, it is the national, natural inclination is when you're making a presentation on a new project or you're making a presentation in sales or you're making a marketing proposal is you're ex so excited to present mm -hmm. it that you keep talking and yeah. you have to make sure you sit back. It's a really, it is a learning curve. It's almost like putting your hands underneath your thighs and saying, be quiet right. and say nothing. Uh -huh. and just, just, and just look. And look at somebody in the eye. It's so true, but it, it's a, but it, you know, we're all, we've got rent to pay. We've got mortgages to pay. We've got to feed our families. We have to eat. So we're so anxious to have that proposal accepted or make that sale or close that business that yeah. we're not looking for those cues that you just mentioned. We're so anxious to continue speaking and sell our product or service. Big time. As I was reflecting on this topic too, before the episode, one of the thoughts that came to mind that's also a helpful tip, no matter where you are, the tip is, what's in it for me? Remember that phrase because for kids, for bosses, for clients, for everybody, it's not about you, it's about them. And so if you're selling something or you have a proposal that you want to be accepted or you, whatever... The, you want to go to a certain place or a certain restaurant or a certain, if you have a way that you would like for things to go, they don't care what you want. They care what they want. And that's not to be crass. That's not mean. That's just, it is what it is with they're interested in what's in it for them. So as long as when you talk about things, you don't always start out with and end with well, because I want to do it and this is what I think because of I'll make this money or I'll get this thing or I'll get, it's about, well, what is it? What's in it for them? And so that was one of, oh, like, oh my gosh, it's the WIFM, W-I-I-F-M, W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for, for me? me? Remember that? One. Yeah. Well, again, that's, that's a learning curve also because we are, again, so anxious thinking about ourselves, but you have to put yourself in the buyer's situation or the person right. you're presenting to, their, their situation. I used to complain a lot. You know, I go to see certain customers. I say, ah, they're so tough. This buyer was such a pain in the neck. He's not listening. He's always going no, or she's always going no. And you realize they're under the same pressure as we are, and on the other side of the desk or the other side of the video call, in that they've got obligations to make in their business, they've got budgets to hit, they've got limited resources. So you have to put yourself on the other person's shoes and seeing what they're going through. It is a two-way street. In this day and age, the sales role is really trying to become a trusted advisor 
with the customers that we're dealing with. Rather than me versus them, it's how do we solve a problem together? So it's a uh, that's a, that's an evolution of when sales is different than when I first got into it. And buyers are much more knowledgeable. People know much much more what they want to uh, buy and what. Uh, it, and if you're making a project presentation, the person on the other side has those same obligations and uh, considerations to uh, to go through. So uh, it's being aware, going back to emotional intelligence of what that other person is going through. You know, I'm reminded of the metaphor when you. The, the metaphor is when you're selling, imagine yourself sitting on the same side of the table as them. Because when you create the standoff situation, that's the scenario like when you're in the car dealership and the guy's sitting across the table and you want this and he wants this and you're back and forth and that thing. If you imagine yourself as what do we want and you're sitting on the same side of the table as the customer or the kids or the boss or the whoever it is. And like what what's in it for us? What what do we want? You're on the same same team, it totally changes the dynamic. So imagine yourself sitting on the same side of the table as the person that you are selling to or trying to convince whatever it is in life. It's a, uh, that is a real learning curve because it's a very stressful thing when I used to go to big, some big box retailers from Walmart to Barnes and Noble to Amazon. And you sit in a room and you have a buyer across from you and you're, he has, he or she has, you know, the, the, the objectives that they're trying to get. I have the objectives that I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get my products or service in those accounts. And they're trying to find ways to get a better deal or make sure it's the right offering. And, uh, you know, you're, it's a it's a very interesting environment when you go back to the days of when you would sit across a desk from a buyer's off in a buyer's office, and it is one-on-one. <laughs> and as you said, they've got obligations and, and considerations to meet too. And it's the learning curve is how do you make it a win-win for both people? You're not going to get everything that you want, and they can't get everything that they want. How do you make both sides successful? It goes back to that phrase of being a trusted advisor. If you're a salesperson that's just trying to make one deal and run, or if you're trying to make a project presentation and say, okay, I got it, move on to the next one, that's not a recipe for long-term success. Excuse me. What you're trying to build is a long-term relationship that comes with trust, honesty, being authentic, and being genuine. For sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. One of the other thoughts that I wanted to sh- that, as I was thinking about this, I wanted to share is remember that in any situation, kids, bosses, selling, all of these, it's the benefits, not the features. And what I mean by that, I have this. The story that I have that comes to mind is I will I will never forget when I was in the furniture store and we were doing sales training, there was a guy that weighed, uh, we called him Big Ben. Big Ben right. was 350 pounds and he was six foot eight. And you just wondered how on earth is this guy selling furniture? Like this guy's right. huge. There's, you think somebody that big would have some sort of career that involves being that big or something, but no, he was, right. he was a wonderful sales guy. And so we used to teach with the sales training that it's the feature, not the benefit. So the feature that he used to demonstrate, he would say the feature is that this thing, ha- it has a no sag spring system for the couch. So for you, that's like, if you sit down on the couch, your couch is never going to bottom out or sag if you buy this couch. And then he would take the cushion off of the couch and Big Ben would stand on the springs and bounce up and down like a kid 
for these. And so you got Big Ben, 350 pounds, bouncing on this spring system. Like that was the benefit. So that visual of the benefit, like the no sag seating system was the feature, but the benefit was that it's never going to sag. Look at Big Ben bouncing on this thing. And so I share that because when you think about the things that you're selling, whether it's your kids or your boss or whatever it is, it think about what the benefit is for them. It's not just the feature. It's not just the bullet on the thing that, oh, it has this feature. You got a certain car. You want to convince your family that, hey, we should get this one because it has Bluetooth. They don't care about Bluetooth, but what they do care about is the fact that the kids can be in the backseat with their iPhone controlling the music to the front seat without like it's so it's stuff like that where it's like it's the benefits not the features that make all the difference it's also with big ben he's being authentic that's who he is and he's saying look this is who i am i'm a big guy and this is what works with the furniture that i'm selling it it is effective it goes to i used to have managers and bosses at one company i worked with who their sales training techniques was being aggressive being manipulative, being in your face, and being, you know, close, close, close. I realized I tried to be like that for a period of time. You know, you, you stand, yeah. I'm a bomb, this, blah, 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 blah. And you realize that's not me. And I talk about in sales training is at the end of the day, you have to just be yourself. You know, I'm not an A student, I was a B student. How do I become successful? Well, it is enhancing the skills that I was given when I was, you know, when I was raised. I try to be nice to tra- people. I try to be outgoing. I try to be authentic. I try to be genuine. So those yeah. are lessons that I teach is uh, in, in learning from that, the contrast of, of trying to be somebody I was not. So Big Ben may have been six foot eight, 300 pounds, but he was being real. He was saying, hey, look, I have a good product and I'm selling it. Are offering you. And that's a great example of just somebody just being themselves. He wasn't trying to fake it. I am what I am. <laughs> so true. Man, Big Ben. I think so fondly of that guy. I st- it's been years. I haven't seen Big Ben in years, <laughs> but I will never forget him bouncing up and down. And he bounced up and down on that sofa like 10 times a day. I mean, that same sofa, that same seat on the same sofa, like he did that over and over and over again. And I, so I, to this day, I would still buy that couch because after watching Big Ben do that every day for years of that floor model, it's still good. Anyway. You talk about a profession that's misunderstood is selling furniture because there are some, some chains where it is a very aggressive sales approach. And the best salespeople. It's funny, I just bought, went to a, a retailer near me yesterday, and the woman is an unbelievable salesperson because she doesn't sell. And she kept asking me what we were doing in our home for my wife and I, how we were designing everything. And I've gone back to her three or four times because she is just kept asking me, what are we adding in our house? What are we trying to do? She actually unsold things that I was thinking I wanted to buy. She said, you don't need that. Wait, get it in your home first and then see what makes sense. But there are some chains, as you know, in the furniture industry, which is often misunderstood, where it is a very aggressive sales tactic where you walk in the front door and the next salesperson has to come up, right? Who gets in? You know, and it's a, uh, so it's a tough business. So that's why somebody like a big Ben can be so effective and successful. Absolutely. Well, Dean, I want to I want to pivot and 
look at, I want to look at it through certain lenses now Mm -hmm. is what I'd like to do. So what I want to ask you is let's, so I'm going to give you some scenarios and let's talk about what are the skills that come to mind The the sort of that generally we might've taught them as sales skills over the years, but what are the skills that are going to be applicable in that situation? So first let's talk about for kids, spouse, family, are there any stories or what are the skills and what are the stories that come to mind for you in convincing your family or your kids or your spouse selling ideas or things to do things? Well, I always talk about being ready and prepared. And if you're going to, you can't just show up and say, you know, to, you're, to, I want to be able to get a new car, dad, or I want to get a new baseball bat. You know, it's, it's being able to say dad, I have worked hard in school <laughs> And uh-huh. I want to see if I can come up with a plan where you're going to help me buy a new baseball bat or get an investment in a car or something yeah. along the way. Yeah. It's planning and preparation and doing your research. It's like you and I speaking today, I just didn't show up and say, oh, hey, hey Brian, how you doing? You know, it's looking at some of your other episodes. I've watched them before, seeing other people that's been there. So with my children, I would say it's being ready, doing your research, even starting at an early age, just don't show up. Be understanding and knowing what's going on and what you're going to expect with other relatives you might be meeting at Thanksgiving or other holidays. And it's trying to bring things back to the basics of communication, basic skills, being friendly, being outgoing. And I think that's what would make for a, a successful child and a successful business person. Absolutely. As I was thinking about this scenario, I was reminded of the the topic or the technique is about making it's the what's going back to the what's in it for them scenario. And the the funny one about this is with my wife. So I teach Pro- Productivity Gladiator is about personal practical productivity skills. Mm-hmm. And AI has been big in this. If you've been paying attention to chat GPT and these different things. So I have been using AI tools like it's my, it, I, I jokingly call it my brilliant intern because mm-hmm. it, man, I bounce ideas off of it all day long. I use it all the time. It's such a helpful tool. And if you don't use it, you might not necessarily see why you should use it. It doesn't make sense. So I use it all the time. And my wife does not use it at all. She has no interest in it. She doesn't see it. And there's right. so many things that we'll talk about during the day that, that she would say something. And I'll be like, I would ask AI this. But when I tell her you should ask AI this, she doesn't, she, that didn't, that didn't mean anything, right? So that feature benefit, whatever. So in this case, this funny story that I have is with AI that the reason I got her to try AI for the first time was we were getting ready to move. We just moved to Florida. Mm-hmm. We're getting ready to move and we're doing that thing where you got too much in the cupboards, in the cabinets, in the pantry, and you're trying to use the last of everything. Yeah. And I said, you know, you could go you and if you haven't tried this by the way, you should totally do this right now. You can go on one of these ChatGPT or Bard or uh, mm-hmm. any of any of them, there's so many. You go in there and you ask, I have the following ingredients or I have the following things in my pantry, what can I make? And it will send you recipes that you could use. So for the whole 2 weeks right. before we left and moved, my wife was all about going on AI to find out what the recipe was that she could use to clean out the cupboard or whatever. And we were both doing it. I mean, I help out in the kitchen occasionally too. And so like we're both using it, but that was 
the reason she finally tried it was because it was a very specific use case for why it mattered to her. It wasn't just the general benefit of, oh, it's so helpful, but now it's helpful for you because of this and this scenario. So that's the the thought is, man, making sure that the benefit is personal to them and put it in terms of them. It's not just in general. If you can make it relevant to them specifically, oh man, what a difference. It's also that lesson of embracing new technology. And it's, it's, (laughs) you know, you go, I look back when I first got into sales, I mean, I'm we didn't have telephone, mobile phones. I didn't have computers. I actually did call reports on a type typewriter, and yeah. and uh, I thought whiteout. You know, when you make a mistake on a printer, you can use white. I thought that was a great technology advance. And when uh-huh. I got on an airplane, I used to, I was one of the first people who had a BlackBerry. And I, everybody thought I was so cool. You know, I'm walking around like this. You know, I'm on a BlackBerry. Uh-huh. What is that? You're getting an email that way. And then within two years, I'm a dinosaur. You know, the evolution, AI, a lot of people say, well, I don't need this. What is this? What's this all about? Well, your example there is the perfect one of how it can help you do things better. You have to embrace new technology. And salespeople, you know, we talk about customer relationship management software a lot. This is the where you take all of the information and you put it in the pot (laughs) and it's all shared. Salespeople don't like that because it's, I'd rather be out selling. I want to work with customers. I don't want to enter data and systems. But CRMs has changed our industry. Salesforce.com, for example, of being able to take data. And uh, I used to have training programs and salespeople would be going and kicking and screaming. I don't want to do this. I have my own notes. You know, I keep it on a piece of paper. I got it all this way. I don't want to enter data. And so it's embracing new technology. And now, I mean, a year ago, you know, uh, AI, you know, yeah, we were talking about it, but not like certainly not using it like we are now, correct? Absolutely. It's, it's definitely changing the game. But one of the things is there is a hesitation around it for two reasons I hear most often. One is it might be wrong. And the other is because it's not relevant to me. Yeah. And so in both of those cases, that is something that if you're prepared for that, it's still a very useful tool. So I, I, not that this, we're not talking about AI specifically, but that's just an example. What you said about technology and this be really being relevant is yes, technology is there to help you do the parts of your job that only you can do. So if you think about that, you know, like CRMs, you're right. You would rather be out there selling, oh my God, CRMs are painful sometimes. And, but you know, the power of a CRM is that you can search everything. So one of the topics I, uh, one of the things I teach with Productivity Gladiator is about uploading your brain. How do you finally remember everything? And the way you do is by not keeping it up here. You have to write it down. So having the CRM with notes for yourself about what are their kids' names? What are the pets' names that you learned? What are So that when you go do the human part that you can do, or like with families, these if you write these things down, if you have a good system for keeping the m- things you need to remember, not up here. Oh man, the power of that is a- awesome because then you can reference back to it later and you know where that information is, even though you can't remember it up here. So I, it's just funny you brought up the CRM thing because, oh man. Yeah, yeah. I, as we, the training classes that I've done, you know, we all used to have the folder, which I still have the folders because I'm, I'm a dinosaur salesperson. I still have folders and stuff, but the yeah. What you have to do with the CRM or any new technology, as you add things, you must eliminate things. That's one of the messages you talk about in your work is about managing your time. 
And yeah. if you could add on CRMs, but that means you have to get rid of, eliminate the folders or eliminate the notes and put it in the CRM. So it goes back to, I think you've called like the currency of your life is your time, correct? And how you manage that. Memory, yeah. <laughs> and it's a, so it's, that goes back to going, doing your research and planning and preparation and learning about you before this. <laughs> that's that? an example, Dean, right? <laughs> Dean gets an A. Dean gets an A for this. He watched my TED talk. He remembers the quote. Dean, a-, a plus marks, sir. I, I love, I'm so honored. I <laughs> well, there's a lesson. So you want to talk about a lesson? So when you huh. meet somebody, AI can't do that. AI could say you did a TED talk which it did, <laughs> or on your bio talks, but actually me watching that, I said, okay, I learned more about you. So this is something, a good lesson here is AI can help guide you, but the one-on-one of you and me right now, AI can't do. It's me watching you on stage and seeing your energy and enthusiasm for the topic. Uh, that's what came across. That's what I learned about you. So how do I differentiate myself as a salesperson versus all the other people who are out there is it's taking that extra time to do, let me watch Brian's TED Talk. You know, it's 18 minutes, and right? And Uh I learned a lot about you, your style and your energy, all the things I just said. And it makes an impression, right? Dean actually took the time to watch this. Dean watched, read my website, looked at things. So how do you as a salesperson or how is you as a product manager, if you're mm-hmm. making a presentation to a, a group of people in a committee, it's learning about those people beforehand. That's what sales is about, no matter what job you're in, is taking the time to learn about people before you meet them. Relationships, customer relationships are key. And what you said is really true in that all of this technology helps us And ultimately, it comes down to the relationships. Most people know this, and you probably know this, but the people you know, referrals, like you and I work in a business where referrals is it. People refer us. We talk to someone. They like us. They refer us to somebody else. Referrals are the key. And that will never be done with AI ever. Right. Like or like because the person to person thing is never going to go away. The decision makers will always be a person, even if AI helps a lot of that. The person making the person is still going to be making the decision. So going back to our topic for the episode, your kids are still going to be the one making the decision. Your bosses are still going to be making decisions. So talking to them as a person and getting, like Dean said, getting to know, doing your your homework, knowing about them, so you can put it in terms of them. And treat them as the person in the relationship. Oh man, I, like that's it's invaluable, Dean. I love that point. That's good. Well, those are. I mean, these are these are things they don't teach at the Harvard Business School or Stanford Business School. This is these are lessons of life. Of uh, and I that's the lessons that I talk about with my family and with my friends. Is uh, you know this is you don't need an MBA or a PhD to figure these things out. It's being authentic. It's being genuine, and it goes down to what you're. I always talk about the most important thing is what your character is. So in the middle part of my career, as I told you, I, I tried to change my style a bit and I was a little bit more aggressive and blah, 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 doing the uh-huh. whole, you know, the whole hand yeah. movement and that wasn't me. And it's how do you act when you think no one's good looking at you? You know, how do you mm-hmm. act when uh, somebody needs help on the street, trying to cross the street? Do you help them or do you keep moving on? How do you act when no one's looking? And, you know, a story I use for that one is the, 
I worked in New York City for many years, and I used to go to the same same coffee shop every day. It's New York City, so it's crazy. The cars are honking, and and in New York, they've got the the coffee flying and the and the bagels going, and they have it down to a fast system, getting in and out. And this, I went to the same place every day. Well, one day uh-huh. I'm in there. And this is the era of where we all wore ties or jackets. And this was a casual day for me, meaning I was wearing this, which is casual for me. And, yeah. and I'm in this in this coffee shop and, and they were something was fouled up. They were getting behind with their orders and everything. And the guy in front of me started getting snippy. Hey, hurry up with my order. Hurry up. And uh-huh. I, you know, I knew these people behind the deck, behind the sh- counter. And I said, I said to this guy, you know, hey, take it easy. They're doing the best they can. Now, this is like 7.30 in the morning on a Monday. It's like, I mean, I'm like, what's going on? I mean, I'm going from zero to 100 on Monday morning. And he gave me the look and he goes, why don't you mind your own business? Fast forward, you know, two hours later, somebody comes into my office and I say, Dean, I'm interviewing some candidates for a job and I, have to, I need to get the second interview and my boss isn't in. Do you mind doing the second interview with somebody? Well, lo and behold, who walks in from the coffee shop? Now, he's, look, he's looking at me like, how does he know me? And then the, the the manager saying, this is John Doe. And I go, oh, no, we've met. And then I said, hey, how was your coffee? And he went white. He went pure. He went totally white. And a couple of lessons with that. There's two parts of this. You know, I, I never brought it up to the hiring manager. I would have if there was like a a chance like a flip of a coin. I would have said, you know what? You got to watch this guy's character because there's something happened. But I didn't yeah. bring it up. But you know what was interesting? That guy who acted so inappropriately with me, he actually brought it up during his interview saying, you know what? I owe Dean Carroll an apology. This is what happened. And the hiring manager said, well, Dean never told me about that. So, I mean, it was like a, a good news thing that ended up okay after, you know, after the end of it. And I ended up knowing that guy later on. He never got that job with their company. But it was just an interesting, how do you act when nobody's looking? Was he didn't act too well. <laughs> you know? right. And lo and behold, it came back to bite him. But it ended up working out okay in the end. But it's a, uh, I always say, you know, it's a be yourself, be genuine. And your character is who you, re- is the, the core of who you really are. Whether you're my kids or whether the, the people who work with me. Or certainly you learn that from your managers and the people you report to. You learn a lot how they act when, you know, in their roles. Absolutely. I, it, it's, it is really tempting sometimes to not be of high character and integrity sometimes when nobody's looking. Like it, yeah. it's really tempting to try to cheat or to try to, and what you say really is true, which is if you, the, what goes around comes around I, in my life has definitely been so true. And even though in the moment, something will seem so unfair because it went to somebody else or something, what goes around comes around eventually. So I, I love that. I love that metaphor in that story, man, yeah, coffee shop in New York. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd say, you know, there are some, I'd say you've worked for a variety of different people in your career. I'm sure some of them really good. Yep. And some have been mediocre. I've learned the most from managers who were mediocre because I knew that's not how, whenever I ran an organization or managed people, I knew I would never act that way. You know, there are, there are those who, you know, the tough boss, you know, dictatorship, management through intimidation. And you realize, wow. That's no good. I mean, I, 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 the company Simon & Schuster has since changed. I mean, they're, they're a really 
great company now, but there was an era there where they were known to be an extremely difficult company to work at. At Prentice Hall, when I first started, my first eight years, I had two managers, two managers in eight years. At eight years at Simon & Schuster, I had eight different managers. It was a revolving door of people coming and going. It was a great company, bestsellers and all of that, but it was an organization where the culture was one of stress and and high uh, high maintenance. And I knew, at least for me, that was not the approach that I want. Some people thrive in that environment, the high pressure, high stress. I know I don't. And I mean, that's life's too short. So the lesson I tell people is when you're interviewing for a company, and you, mm-hmm. it's your, I'm interviewing with you, Brian. I want to know. I want to know about you. <laughs> and if you come across as tough and arrogant, I don't know if I want to work with you. So you're interviewing with the company and doing your research about the company, what their reputation and culture might be. And some people will thrive in an intense, stressful environment, and some people, you know, don't like it. And I survived eight years. How I don't know, but <laughs> you know, yeah. you know. So, and you know, I. Dean, I'm gonna. I gave you an A plus, so now I'm gonna earn my A plus, which is the story he just told about being prepared for an interview is straight out of one of the books. So this is one of Dean. I'm show, I'm holding it up to the camera. I'll put a link to it. But this is Mastering the Basics by Dean Carroll, and he talks about uh, do everyday skills, and that's why Dean and I. I love chatting with Dean. Dean and I. He's like a brother from another mother for me because we talk about everyday, real, practical lessons. And there's a lot in here. And one of the lessons that I was reading right before was that one he just shared that you're interviewing the company. They're not just interviewing you. So little, little plug for Dean there. If you, if you want to check out his book, it's a lot of, none of it's too, it's not a long read. I love it because it's very short, little practical one page, two page stories and lessons, but there's almost 200 tips in there. So if you're just starting out in your career or an aspiring leader, there's a lot of really good little nuggets that's not too overpowering. I enjoyed it. So appreciate that. The lesson there also, Brian, is thank you so much for bringing that up is, you know, there's always going to be somebody that will do the strategic plan for the company, who'll do the the chief Mm -hmm. financial planning, uh, financial officer work, the financial work. There are always people at that top level take care of that. How do you manage a situation of, you know, just being intimidated in a group meeting? And these are some of the topics yeah. that I talk about. How do you speak yeah. up? How do you raise your hand? How do you handle it when somebody does say no? How do you handle if you get let go? Do you, you know, I've I've been in situations where, you know, I was at the last company I was at, we had, did have to make a lot of changes and people were let go in, in every company, in every industry. And yeah. you know, people are let go sometimes very poorly. And sometimes people who are let go handle it poorly. It's a business decision, and they burn a bridge. And you never burn a bridge, meaning you never, Brian, I'm never going to talk to you again. No, you never know. Life right. may come around. And it does. It's amazing how, you know, I talk about I left Wiley eight, nine years ago, and I left on good terms. I was a great company. I worked there for 20 years. And a lot of people who left and went on to other places, a good many of them went to LinkedIn. And lo and behold, <laughs> these people at LinkedIn said to Dean, could you do some sales training courses? So that's how mm-hmm. I got connected with them, which is another tip of the importance of another word that makes us cringe sometimes is networking. And yep. and we think of networking as like a little badge that says, hi, I'm Brian, or hi, I'm Dean. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and yeah, it's, right. it's a coffee yeah. break, you know, networking break for over a cup of coffee at a conference. Networking yeah. is just with how you and I met. 
I met you through one of your other participants on an episode. We've talked, I've watched your work, and now we're friends, and now I know you. So it's the basic skills of communicating and reaching out with others. Absolutely. You know, so we, we've been talking for a little bit. I want to go through a couple other scenarios mm-hmm. before, we, before we hit the end of our time. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Dean, is, all right, now let's look at this through the lens of your boss. Because pretty much everybody in the workforce, unless you work for yourself, you have a boss. Right. And so when you're dealing or trying to sell your boss on an idea... Do you have any funny stories or tactics or advice on that topic? Well, your boss is reporting to somebody also. And it's a, I had a boss at my last company named George Stanley, who I've known for close to 30 years. And the guy has no ego. He was the best boss to ever work for. He managed, he was like in, like in a football game where you have somebody who blocks and gets people out of the way. He would keep upper management away from me so that I could go out and work with customers. And so the tactic with him was, Dean, as long as you're performing and as long as you're continuing to hit your numbers and do it, I'll keep management away from you. And so it's how do you it's again, it's a two way street. We're working with customers. Your manager and your boss has obligations too. they're they've got a salary that they want to hit and they've got obligation objectives that they want to hit. So how can you help them? So with George and myself, it was. He would manage up and I would be able to manage out. So it's recognizing what situation your manager, you know, might be in. At Simon & Schuster, I had managers who were such that no matter what I did, I couldn't make them happy because it was the attitude of more, more, more. So that's where you have to learn. If that's not going to be right for you, you have to move on. And my attitude about this and working with bosses and -hmm. working with managers, there are managers and then there are leaders. And my philosophy about this has changed dramatically through the years. I used to say to people, you know, try to work it out. Meet with your tough boss and ask him what you're doing wrong, how you can improve. Yes, you need to do that. But there also is a point where you got to move on. And it's knowing Mm -hmm. what that point is. And again, I'm not saying you do that. Every situation is different. <laughs> Don't all go out now. And quit is not telling you to quit your job right That's now. Right. Calm down. I guess. <laughs> but, but it's having a plan of, I think you always have to have your resume updated. I think you always have to have your LinkedIn profile updated. I think you always keep your eyes open for the next opportunity that may or may not be out there. But if you're not happy, and a lesson of if you're working with a boss, and I've said this, if, if your boss is not good and not helping you, you got to find an exit strategy. Not tomorrow, but work out a plan for next month or six months from now, or say that by June 1, I want to find that next opportunity. So yeah. the stories there are that if I've said that to people throughout my life is, or certainly now in the, this later phase of my life is, you have a strategy of, the first strategy is, Oh, just be quiet. Suck it up. You'll be all right. Stay there. The second one is look around for other opportunities. Work with your manager to see if you can come up with better ways of working with he or she better. Number three is you're having a tough situation. Keep your eyes open. Get your resume ready. Keep looking and start networking to look for those other opportunities. And then the fourth is the aggressive one where you say, I got to get out right now. 
So there are four paths. I call them the paths from conservative to aggressive. And yeah. uh, so let's say it's you've been doing that. You've done that. I've done that. And uh, uh, yep. I think it's important for people like you and I who have been down that path to share those messages with people. Absolutely. It's that I, one of the best little pieces of advice I've ever gotten was a, was a boss who she said, the only person who truly cares about your career is you. Right. So if you're waiting for someone to hook you up or somebody says there's an opportunity or things, people say things, ultimately everybody is, it's the what's in it for me. We were talking about earlier is also true about like you in your career. So even though there are some great bosses, one of the best bosses I ever, I ever experienced was uh, he truly did things for me. He really he went out of his way to help. I, I'll never forget. It was he was the executive vice president, and I was the, one of the general managers. And I needed a suit, a special kind of suit for an event that I was going to that he wanted me to go to for the company, and I didn't have that. And the suit was going to be fairly expensive. And so he said, "Look, go get the suit, send me the bill, but I want you to go do this thing." So, like, that's him being really good. And he is not ultimately in charge of my career. I am so. That that dynamic of remembering that you're in the driver's seat of your life. I, that's a good point, Dean. I, I like that a lot. That's a tough I, one, though. That's a, you know, because you always think that somebody's going to be there to help you. And that's, I've, again, become more cynical through the years. Your sphere of really close friends is a lot smaller than you think. We all have a lot of acquaintances. And we all have a lot of people we've crossed paths with. But at the end of the day, you do have to look out for yourself. That's a very important message you're giving, Brian, is that, yes, okay, you know, your boss is going to try to help you, but then you have a great situation where that boss did help you with the suit. But when you're looking for a job or you're looking for another opportunity and you reach out to people, I always say, reach out to 10 people. Well, unfortunately, only four people will get back to you. The other six that you thought were friends or you used to work with, where are they? <laughs> it's not there. Mm -hmm. So that's a wake-up call that you, you do. You control your destiny and you get help along the way with other people. You had that manager that you worked for that helped you. I was blessed that my first manager was a guy by the name of Gary Gutchell. I worked for him for 18 months. And okay. his lessons were you know, show up on time, <laughs> smile, family comes first. And, you know, ask for help when you need it. Don't be afraid to ask for help. I reported to him for 18 months. But the lessons that I learned from those 18 months, I I was friends with him. Sadly, he passed away this past year at 86. But he was a lifetime mentor, friend, coach. Because, again, the basics of, you know, show up on time. How many no. times have you gone to a meeting and somebody's 10 minutes late? Where are you? How... Right. <laughs> How right. Yeah. difficult is that? Is that freshman business class at Harvard? No. That yep. is <laughs> Brian and Dean Basics 101. Show up on right. <laughs> yeah. And that's oh, what Brian would that's what uh, Gary would teach me. Those those types of skills. Man. Yep. <laughs> now I want to flip the script one more time. One last question for you, Dean. And that's now let's flip the scenario. And now you're trying to sell. You are the manager and you're selling down, right? So now you have people reporting to you underneath you. And we need to take things in a different direction. We need to change. We need to, whatever we were doing wasn't working. 
So yeah. if you're in that and you're selling them on, we, here is the new path. Mm. Here's the path we should take. If you're in that scenario, Dean, what stories and what tactics come to mind for you? Oh, it's tough. That is so tough. And I had, I have been there. You know, I had the greatest job in the world at sales, at sales director at Wiley. And then the world changed in 2008, 2010. You know, the retailers began to close. There were shifts in business. People were buying more digital books of, in our industry, similar to music, similar to every industry. Wow. Uh, yeah. Things changed. So yeah. instead of growing and coaching and motivating and encouraging, I was reorganizing and restructuring. And I had to convey a message of that the world's changed. And I got good for a while there at corporate speak. You know, you know, the world's changed and the business models are different. So we need to make some restructuring and organizational changes. And it was a, you know, hey, hey, hey. And what people want to hear, though, is unfortunately the world is changing and it is impacting your role. And where we're going in the future is, candidly, we have to scale back. You know, you can't. You want to be able to say, well, we're going to try to hold you on as long as we can. you got to be honest and say, you know what? I have a feeling your role is going to change in the next six months. People want honesty. They're, they're, they're adults. And so when you work with your teams and work with the, the staff, is people, oh, whether good times and bad, people want to be communicated with like adults. Yeah. They want to hear the truth. Corporate speak is a lot of baloney that people yeah. can read through very quickly. So it's uh, it goes to those foundations that I have to be a good manager. It's reputation. You have a good reputation. You have credibility. You have integrity. And then I go back to that word again, character. Those are the four pillars of being a good manager and a good leader of those skills. So when I've worked with people in a very yeah. difficult time at Wiley where hundreds of people were let go in, in different areas of the company, it's... Showing empathy, showing care, showing compassion, showing understanding and saying, you know what, this does stink and I'm not happy, but this is the reality and we're going to do everything we can to help you find the next job. I'm fortunate in, I was the bad guy and that's why I left. I couldn't take it anymore, <laughs> but and yeah. you know, it's, it, but it's, it, it, I'm blessed in that in probably 95% of the people I had to let go, I'm still professionally in touch with and still friends with good many of them. I mean, a few things went sideways and that's normal because I was the bad guy, but people want honesty and empathy, care and compassion, no matter what level and no matter what job you have as a leader is honesty. Look people in the eye and say, Brian, X, Y, and Z. I want to yes and you on this one, Dean. Yes, it, honesty and treating the person as a person is a big one. And I learned a good lesson from one of your colleagues, Dr. Todd Dewitt, in the episode that we did on, we were talking about telling stories. Mm. And one of the things that he shared as a supervisor talking down is if you're going to tell someone that there's going to be a change or something's changing, use the power of a story to go with it because the story answers the question of why. And if they understand why, then that helps. It doesn't always fix, right? Getting laid right. off is never fun. No matter what the why is, that's right. not going to help. Them. Right. But if they understand why the business is making a change or something, that allows you, Dean, to keep in touch with them later because they know why that you were doing this and it wasn't because they were a bad person or you didn't like them or whatever. If you give them the why, the why helps a lot. And telling the why in the form of a story is a really powerful thing. And that was, that, that's a very cool. It's a good, very, very cool. good point there of the stories that 
lot of our conversation today has been about stories and storytelling yeah. is great about is is important in sales or important if you're a project manager important in marketing is showing where things have worked prior and uh, where there's been hurdles in the past and using actual examples and uh, so again in my case it was very easy to say Borders bookstores have gone out of business. Certain retailers are no no longer carrying books anymore. For the right reasons and wrong reasons, Amazon has become more powerful in distributing books. So, you know, so Mm -hmm. you could see, you say, look in your own hometown. Look at at St. Petersburg used to have a lot of bookstores. There's a couple of Barnes and Nobles and Books of Millions and so forth, but there's not the corner bookstore anymore. The world mm-hmm. has changed. And again, you can go through any profession that's happened. So that's how you tell the stories. Look in your own backyard, how things mm-hmm. have changed. Look at your own buying yeah. habits, how things have changed. And, yeah. and people want to hear that. doesn't make it any easier. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, if you're honest sure. and open and understanding, at least yeah. you're able to convey that message. Todd Dewitt, by the way, is a superstar. That's an episode that uh, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, watching. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I certainly you can you can check that episode out if you want to learn about telling a good story. Dr. Todd definitely shared some some awesome insights with with us. So uh, thanks so much for that. So you, one of the things, Dean, is that I know you and I could just keep talking because we're both like brother from a, from another mother. And that my gosh, it's about the basics in real life and not what they teach you at Harvard Business School. I always used to say for me, it's the lessons they didn't teach you in school and the skills they didn't teach you in school when you get out. So I, I, I feel like we could keep going and we can't keep going forever, but we can absolutely reconnect and do this again. Mm-hmm. So I do. I, I want to wrap and here's what I want to I want to end with this. What I want to say is here's what I love. Dean, I love that you're sharing very practical lessons about what real life is and the skills that you need in real life. Whether you check out his book on mastering the basics or you're listening to some of the stuff that he does, or you go check out a LinkedIn learning session that he has, there's a lot of knowledge that's available. And what I love, I love that you make it very practical with the good stories and the context to go with it, Dean. So thank you for doing what you do. And thank you for coming and talking to me for a little bit today and sharing with us some of that, some of that knowledge and some of those stories. I really appreciate it, sir. Well, Brian, we really connected. And and the reason why we connected is we're being open, honest, and just being ourselves. And I think that's an important message is at the end of the day, you can't fake it. And so flaws and all you and me, this is who we are. And how do you build on the strengths you have? Certainly your energy, your enthusiasm, your care for people comes across very, very openly. And same with me. And it's, so you build on that. And maybe you and I won't run these, you know, strategic planning for IBM or uh, some uh, high tech company somewhere, but we will find the path. And that's what you've done. And that's what I've done that helps people out. And in your case, what you're doing with your organization now. So again, I'm so grateful that we've met and you've let me uh, join you today. Absolutely. We'll, we'll definitely keep in touch. And for, for you listening who, if they want to keep in touch with you, Dean, where, where, what would you recommend? How do they keep in touch with you if they want to check you out or get, get in touch with you later? I post regularly on LinkedIn a couple of times a week. I'd either do a video or I do a, a, a photo story or a comment. I talk about sales-related issues, business-related topics on LinkedIn. So Dean Carroll, K-A-R-R-E-L. Don't worry about Twitter. Don't worry about Facebook, any of the social media. I'm, LinkedIn is where I'm at and that these are the messages that we talked about today. And that's what I talk about on LinkedIn. 
Dean's committed. He's a LinkedIn guy. That's cool. I'll make sure I, I, I'll share those. I'll share those uh, those links with you here in the episode notes. And for you tuning in, so here's I got two last opportunities for you. The first one is if you have a friend or colleague who's in sales or really an aspiring leader somewhere, sales skills are something that you'll use as you rise up in your career. So I I know Dean and myself would both love if you share this episode specifically with them because you can certainly tell somebody, oh, you should check out the Productivity Gladiator podcast. But actually having an episode to start with is a hugely helpful thing. And it's also really helpful because that furthers the relationship with them. You sent them a specific one because you thought about them and that's awesome. So I hope you'll share this episode with them. And of course, thanks for subscribing. Thanks for leaving a review to this show. And you can certainly subscribe to the email list if life balance or personal practical productivity are meaningful to you. I do have an email list where I offer something a little extra for you. So don't worry, I don't email every day, but if that's something that's valuable to you, I I certainly would welcome you to join the group. So I love sharing Productivity Gladiator with you. That's a wrap.